Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of our Minute CE curriculum. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Hello and welcome. I'm Dr. Charu Agarwal. I'm the Leslie Heisler Associate Professor for Lung Cancer Excellence at the University of Pennsylvania's Abramson Cancer Center in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Today we'll talk about how we choose between single-agent immunotherapy or chemoimmunotherapy in patients with high PDL1 expression, those with PDL1 greater than or equal to 50%, without any activating driver mutations. We'll start with a case study here. This patient that I met in clinic is a 67-year-old male presented with cough and shortness of breath. Primary care uh, physician started antibiotics. But however, when the cough did not improve, imaging was performed that revealed a large left lower low mass measuring about 5.2 by 6 centimeters with mediastinal and hilar lymphadenopathy. A PET CT scan was confirmed or was performed that confirmed uptake in this left lower lobe mass as well as lymphadenopathy. And unfortunately, there was also presence of adrenal and bone metastases. MRI of the brain did not reveal any intracranial metastases. A CT guided biopsy of the left lower lobe mass was performed, revealing poorly differentiated carcinoma, TTF1 positive, CK5 and 6 negative, consistent with that adenocarcinoma. This patient's past medical history is significant for diet-controlled diabetes, CAD, hypertension, and hypercholesterolemia. No relevant past surgical history or family history. He is a former smoker, 10-pack year, quit in 2018. ECOG performance status of 1, PDL one level of 60%, and a KRAS G12V mutation was present. So when we think about uh, management options for this patient, it's very important to recognize that first and foremost, we need histology for uh, making a treatment decision. We need PDL1 testing as well as uh, molecular sequencing, and we have all three. This patient does not have a driver mutation and has a PDL1 level of 60%. What is the data currently, and how should this patient be managed? Should we use immunotherapy alone? Should we use immunotherapy doublet or combination chemoimmunotherapy? If we look at the guidelines, first-line therapy recommendations or first-line recommendations or category one for patients with advanced metastatic lung cancer with PDL one greater than 50% are various. As you can see, there are immunotherapy-only trials to the left of the slide, as well as combination chemoimmunotherapy trials that may be either doublets uh, with a platinum doublet and immunotherapy or quadruplets uh, with the uh, option of using both PDL one as well as CTLA-4 blockade. So let's dive deeper into this data a little bit. We know that there are several trials that have firmly established the role of immunotherapy and chemoimmunotherapy in metastatic non-small cell lung cancer. Here, I want to show you data on immunotherapy-only trials on the far left of the slide. And on the right, I want to share some data on the use of combination immunotherapy. Again, these are regimens that did not use chemotherapy. And we're all aware of the Keynote 024 trial, now about six years old, which really laid the standard for PDL1 high patients compared to chemotherapy, showed a significant improvement in not just PFS, but also overall survival 
you can see a hazard ratio of 0.62. Following this, we have two other trials with atezolizumab and simiplimab that also demonstrated an improvement in PFS and overall survival compared to chemotherapy. Keynote 42 was slightly different in that it included patients with greater than 1%. Um, and the benefit potentially was being driven by PDL1 high uh, patients with a um, hazard ratio here, you can see for overall survival of 0.68. I, I can uh, share my sentiments, and I'm sure many of you share this, that looking at these hazard ratios uh, for overall survival across the board, I think any of these monotherapy options would be very reasonable for a patient uh, who presents without any actionable driver mutations. We also have data on combination NEVO and IPI. Here you can see for the subset uh, that have PDL1 greater than 50%, we see a median overall survival of 21.2 months with a hazard ratio of 0.66. But let's dig deeper into is really a benefit of CTLA4, is there really a benefit of CTLA4 blockade in patients with P uh, TPS greater than 50%. This was a randomized trial uh, conducted to test the efficacy of pembrolizumab along with ipilimumab. And as you can see, there were about 284 patients randomized to each arm and no significant benefit in terms of overall survival for these patients. You can see the hazard ratio is uh, 1.08, really suggesting that we could potentially get as much benefit with pembrolizumab alone and um, don't have to use combination uh, CTLA-4 blockade in this situation. If we were to explore um, the data of uh, combination NEVO and IPI, you can see this is uh, data from the Checkmate 227 trial. And again, if we focus only on the PDL one greater than or equal to 50%, um, Cohort here, median overall survival is about 21.2 months with a hazard ratio of 0.66. Again, this is not compared to nivolumab alone. Uh, this has otherwise been compared to chemotherapy. And we can, you know, I think, um, sure, this may be a potential option, but given the keynote uh, data that I shared with you on the previous slide, um, I, I think we really have to strongly think about the patients that may benefit from PDL1 and CTLA4 blockade. We've also looked at Checkmate 9LA, which is quadruplet chemoimmunotherapy. This is the three-year update. Again, in the subset of patients with PDL1 greater than or equal to 50%, here we see a median overall survival of 18.9 months and a hazard ratio of 0.795 uh, compared to chemotherapy. So what about chemoimmunotherapy? So we know that immunotherapy trials were better than chemotherapy. We know that chemoimmunotherapy trials were better than chemotherapy. Uh, when we look across subsets of these landmark trials in the TPS greater than 50% population, you can see we have several different trials. So we have Empower 150, Checkmate 9LA, which is quadruplet. We have Empower Lung 3, which is semiplumab plus chemotherapy. And then we have Keynote 189, pembrolizumab plus chemotherapy. And then if you look at the squamous cell histology, we have Keynote 407 on the far right. What I would like to draw your attention to is that if you look at the median overall survival in the bottom row, the overall survival benefit is there across the board. Hazard ratios are very similar for all these trials between 
0.5 to 0.7. I think none of these trials tell us that there isn't a survival benefit. In fact, there is. So chemoimmunotherapy as well as quadruplet chemoimmunotherapy could be used for these patients with PDL one greater than or equal to 50%. I will point out that none of these trials are comparing chemoimmunotherapy to immunotherapy alone. So that question is still uh, pretty valid in terms of how do you choose? And we'll get into this a little bit later in our peer discussion. So in summary, patients with PDL one greater than or equal to 50% benefit from immune checkpoint therapy. I shared with you data from uh, Keynote 24, which was really our first trial that showed benefit in this population. Since then, we've had several trials looking at immunotherapy. There's no clear role of dual ICI therapy. I shared data with you on pembrolizumab plus ipilimumab. I also shared with you data from Checkmate 227 as well as Checkmate 9LA. It's not clear if we are getting an incremental or huge benefit by adding CTLA-4 blockade. And then finally, chemotherapy plus immunotherapy um, is a very relevant as well as immediate option available to us. Uh, And we'll discuss this a little bit in terms of how we choose patients, but it could be used in patients needing fast disease control because response rates tend to be slightly higher with chemoimmunotherapy. So in summary, for this patient, uh, 67 years old with metastatic adenocarcinoma, that's PDL1, 60%, KRSG12V, So now to discuss this further, we are going to transition to our peer discussion, and I'm going to invite my colleague, Dr. Joshua Royce. Um, Please introduce yourself. Thank you, Dr. Agarwal, and thank you for that uh, wonderful discussion. Uh, My name is Joshua Royce. I'm a thoracic medical oncologist and assistant professor of medicine at Georgetown Lombardi Cancer Center and Georgetown University School of Medicine, and happy to be here for the discussion. Welcome, Josh. So I presented a variety of options, and I think this is a dizzying uh, time in lung cancer because we have just so many options that are all category one. Uh, We have uh, landmark clinical trials establishing the role of immunotherapy alone, as well as chemoimmunotherapy. Um, How do you individualize your choice between these regimens? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I think we're fortunate to have so many options, though it definitely can seem uh, overwhelming, uh, both I think as a provider and a patient. You don't want to just give your uh, your patient a big menu of options and say, here, choose, you know, I think it's important to have patient guided discussions on this. And, you know, I think we're going to talk a little bit in more detail about other factors that may guide this uh, decision making, you know, uh, a patient preference first and foremost, uh, uh, patients who have unique comorbidities that may preclude chemotherapy, or perhaps uh, comorbidities that might make you worried for um, a combination uh, treatment approach. Uh, and then obviously you look at the molecular profile as well. And I think we can sometimes look and see are there additional mutations that may uh lead us to believe that uh, addition of chemotherapy or uh, another checkpoint might be needed. Uh, I would say that in my practice, uh, for those that don't have, uh, I would say for your case here, uh, as an example, where we have high PDL1, uh, KRAS mutated non-small cell lung cancer, I typically let disease burden kind of guide my approach. If the disease uh, burden is not particularly high, I think starting with the PD1, PDL1 monotherapy is quite reasonable. 
reasonable. Uh, though I do find that a lot of my patients with metastatic disease present with significant symptoms and high disease burden, whether that's pain, shortness of breath, or some lab abnormality uh, that leads me to believe that adding in chemotherapy uh, has additional benefit. So that's absolutely right. And that has been my practice as well. Um, single agent immunotherapy, we now have three agents that are approved and preferred. So we have pembrolizumab, we have adezolizumab as well as simiplimab. And I do tend to use chemoimmunotherapy preferentially if uh, somebody is very symptomatic. Uh, one of my patients last week um, <clears throat> has uh, presented to me with very large symptomatic pleural effusion requiring chlorosynthesis frequently. And even though he had a high PDL1 level, uh, just the fact that he's so symptomatic from his pleural effusion, I tended to use chemoimmunotherapy. So that's one of the um, one of my sort of go-to parameters in terms of clinical symptomatology and clinical burden. Uh, what what do you think, Josh, about dual immunotherapy and chemotherapy? Both Checkmate two two seven and Checkmate nine LA are approved regimens. Uh, for uh, this population as well. When do you consider these approaches, if at all, for these PDL1 greater than 50%? Yeah, so I agree with the presentation that you outlined. You know, I think the keynote study that looked at the combination of pembrolizumab with ipilimumab was quite illuminating uh, in the sense that, you know, for I think a large majority of patients that have high PDL1, the addition of CTLA4 is, is, is probably not going to move the needle too much. Uh, you know, I think cases where I would at least think about it and consider it intriguing would be looking at some of the commutational profiles where we have seen uh, perhaps a more resistant tumor type with either IO monotherapy or IO chemo, such as when you add in the KEEP1 and SDK11 uh, mutations. Though the bulk of that data is retrospective and we still need prospective data uh, to see if a dual IO plus minus chemo regimen is appropriate for those patients. So when you weigh that with the added toxicity of dual IO, I, I don't really see a lot of scenarios where I would consider this. Does histology guide your decision at all um, in terms of using quadruplet versus triplet? Yeah, for, for PDL1 high, not typically. Um, if patients are PDL1 low or negative, I, I think, and they have squamous disease, that that's oftentimes where I might go with, uh, you know, a checkmate 227, 9LA, or, or now Poseidon. Uh, I do think squamous PDL1 low and negative are a population where uh, that might create added benefit. I'd say the other scenario where I might be inclined to do something a little different is let's say you have a patient who uh, progressed on maintenance dervalumab following definitive chemo radiation, and you're stuck in a boat of, all right, uh, I just gave chemo radiation. I've had a couple cycles of dervalumab. Now I'm seeing progression. Is that a patient who's you know primarily resistant to a PD-1-based strategy, and, and will the addition of a CTLA-4 create added benefit? Now, we don't have trial data there, but that's another scenario where I will potentially look for an alternative regimen. That's fantastic. That mirrors my practice. So in summary, for patients with PDL1 high or greater than 50% metastatic non-small cell lung cancer without an actionable driver mutation, we have various options today. We can choose between immunotherapy as monotherapy, a triplet chemoimmunotherapy option. Uh, I think both of us agree that potentially little incremental benefit to using a dual ICI in this setting. I think in the future, we'll be 
using molecularly defined treatment algorithms, especially um, taking into account mutation statistics, 11, keep one, potentially KRSG12C when we make these uh, treatment decisions. Thank you for joining us today. And hopefully you found this um, discussion to be stimulating and challenging. Thank you. Take care. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is jointly provided by Global Learning Collaborative, GLC, and Total CME Incorporated. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash CME. Thank you for listening.